Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Policy Pack Software, now part of Netrix, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage the lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by Controla, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. Controla, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. To start the news this week, Microsoft is now blocking the Windows 11 Tutu H2 update that was just released from being offered on some Windows 11 systems using the 11th generation core Intel processors with the Intel Smart Sound Technology audio drivers because there's a known issue triggering blue screens of death on affected systems. If you have an available driver update for your Intel Smart Sound Technology audio drivers, you may be able to install that and move to the Windows 11 22H2 update without any issue. But if there is no driver update available to you that specifically addresses this issue, then Microsoft recommends not to manually update affected systems to Windows 11 22H2 using the media creation tool or the update now button until the problem has been addressed and the safeguard is removed. Leapitcomputer.com also reported that the Windows 11 22H2 update is also causing a significant performance impact on systems with NVIDIA GPUs, with users reporting stuttering and massive lag while playing games due to substantial drops in CPU usage. NVIDIA has acknowledged this known issue and released a GeForce Experience beta version that addresses these performance issues. And also, Thomas Ford on Twitter shared that on taking the update, network printing failed for him, and he discovered the culprit was a brand new printer policy for configure RPC connection settings. And he said that to remedy the issue, he needed to change over to named pipes. So certainly multiple issues with the Windows 11 22H2 update. So of course, if you are planning to roll that out in your enterprise, then be cautious. Not sure how many enterprises are actually on Windows 11 yet, but even if you're using it on your personal device, maybe just be aware that there are some issues still and maybe hold off for a few days or weeks. That would be my advice. But in some actual positive Windows 11 22H2 news, I did cover some of the features and improvements in this update on last week's episode, but I missed something that wasn't listed by Microsoft. And Murray on Twitter pointed out that Windows 11 with this version will now tell you what application's process is holding onto a file. That has been such a big pain and bugaboo in every version of Windows up until now. So this is an awesome and well-received feature update. About a month ago, on episode 245 of this podcast, I covered the fact that uh, passwordless authentication using Windows Hello and security devices like FIDO2 keys uh, would be coming to Azure Active Directory join machines. Well, Microsoft have officially announced the public preview for enabling an Azure AD-based single sign-on experience and support for passwordless 
for passwordless authentication using Windows Hello and security devices like those Fido 2 keys. They say with this preview, you can now enable a single sign-on experience to Azure AD Joint and hybrid Azure AD Joint session hosts when using the Windows and web clients for Azure Virtual Desktop. You can use passwordless authentication to sign into the host using Azure AD. You can use passwordless authentication inside the session when using the Windows client. And you can use third-party identity providers that integrate with Azure AD to sign into the host. This new functionality is currently available on Windows 10, Windows 11, and Windows Server 2022 session hosts once you've installed the September Cumulative Update Preview. And to get started with single sign-on, you just have to follow the instructions that Microsoft have provided in their online instructions guide. And by the way, this should be coming to Windows 365 soon, even though this is just Azure Virtual Desktop right now. Uh, because the public roadmap online shows that this is expected before the end of the year for Windows 365 cloud PCs. And as Meryl Fernando on Twitter states, this is potentially big news for FIDO2 and RDP in general, because presumably if it can work for Azure Virtual Desktop, which uses RDP, I would think this could be used more widely just for virtual machines hosted in Azure as well, and hopefully via the RDP protocol. And segueing more to Windows 365, but Microsoft's Mechanics video series online, which is becoming a must follow as a lot of new features are highlighted there before anywhere else. But they just shared an all new Windows 365 app that will be coming to Windows 11 and should also be available for Windows 10 soon too. And this is pretty interesting as it brings some of the features that you get in the Windows 365 web portal, like the ability to like reset and um, cycle that Windows 365 Cloud PC that is not currently available in the remote desktop client. But it also makes it clear that there's somewhat of a split between Windows 365 and Azure Virtual Desktop, at least from a consumer and like a consumption standpoint. So I guess we'll probably hear more about this Windows 365 app in the coming weeks, possibly at Ignite. As they do every month, Microsoft provided their monthly updates, our list of updates included with Microsoft Intune for September. And it really frustrates me that there is an Intune, what's new, and it's under MEM. It's just, the branding is just horrible. They really need to uh, pick which name they're going with because it just creates confusion. But while I didn't see anything that I felt merited specifically highlighting this month, I did see a note in there that was a good reminder and it could be a reminder to everyone, but Microsoft Intune will be ending support for Windows 8.1 on October 21st. So that's October 21st this year. After that date, technical assistance and automatic updates that help protect your devices running Windows 8.1 will no longer be available. Additionally, because the sideloading scenario for line of business apps is only applicable to Windows 8.1 devices, Intune will no longer support Windows 8.1 sideloading. Of course, sideloading is installing and then running or testing an app that isn't certified by the Microsoft Store. In Windows 10 and Windows 11, sideloading is simply setting a device config policy to include trusted app installation. And just kind of more general, but you should be aware that support for Windows 8 ended on January 12, 2016 and support for Windows 8.1 generally 
will end on January 10th, 2023, so the beginning of next year. Microsoft 365 apps are no longer supported on Windows 8 or Windows 8.1 after they've reached their end of support dates. And they say if you're an IT pro responsible for deploying Office in an enterprise, you should see Windows 8 end of support and Microsoft 365 apps and Windows 8.1 end of support and Microsoft 365 apps guidance and advisories from Microsoft. Hopefully not much of an issue. I don't know too many enterprises that adopted Windows 8 or Windows 8.1 anyway. And most of those probably have already moved to Windows 10 at least. So ugh, I'm hoping anyone listening to this has not rolled out Windows 8.1 and still has that in their environment. And while I am discussing in Intune update there and in an Intune specific announcement, even though I also included some general Windows 8.1 and to support information, I figured the next story should be around Configuration Manager. So on the Configuration Manager and Intune together side of things, Microsoft unveiled this week that they have included a new pretty granular role-based access control from Intune for viewing and managing cloud-attached configuration manager environments and clients. They stated customers had raised concerns that when enabling the attachment to provide line of sight to config manager client devices in Intune, the level of access those in Intune got was too great and it should have been more least privileged. So with version 2207 of Config Manager and Inforce Configuration Manager RBA for Cloud Console Requests and Interact with Configuration Manager option now exists. That was a mouthful. So essentially, you're able to enforce a more granular role-based access control so that people in Intune who maybe you don't want to have certain visibility of those clients will not have it. There was a lot of news from Citrix this week and in the first bit of news from Citrix, the connector appliance for cloud services was launched. They say that the connector appliance is a Citrix component hosted in your hypervisor and it serves as a channel for communication between Citrix Cloud and your resource locations, enabling cloud management without requiring any complex networking or infrastructure configuration. Connector Appliance enables you to manage and focus on the resources that provide value to your users. The Connector Appliance provides various different functions, including a preview of the hypervisor management service that enables you to manage updates to your Citrix hypervisor 8 cloud pools from the cloud control plane, uh, the image portability service, which I believe is built off the top of Citrix app layering, but uh, specifically for providing flexibility and helping you move images across various different clouds. And also Citrix Secure Private Access, which enables administrators to provide a cohesive experience that integrates single sign-on remote access and content inspection into a single solution for end-to-end -end access control. Several Citrix CTPs tweeted the news this week that Citrix looks set to rebrand again, and this time moving back to the Netscaler naming, which I think is a positive move. Uh, I tweeted myself saying that in the past, when talking to network teams who are not necessarily completely focused on just Citrix products, I'm trying to explain to them ADCs and using the ADC terminology never caught on because they were more familiar with the Netscaler naming and branding. So I think it's a positive name. And just personally, I actually like the Netscaler name. So cool to have it back. 
In other good news for Citrix, Thomas Berger shared this week on Twitter that there's a new baseline feature for Citrix Analytics for performance, and it's now live in the US. He says that it helps you understand trends in your DAS environment uh, related to session failures, responsiveness, and logon times, so you can act before a glitch becomes a major issue. I'm excited to check it out, and hopefully this is a big improvement on what was shown in Director in the past, and also it just provides more value uh, to Citrix Analytics for performance. The PowerShell Deployment Extension Kit has received an update, which of course, if you're not familiar with the product, it gives you OSD from the cloud completely free of charge. And the update is the September 2022 version 0.2.2.8. And Mikhail Nistrom has said that this is the first update in quite a while, but this update brings a new wizard enabled via PSD wizard and PSD wizard theme variables, better disk handling, extended logging, performance improvements, code cleanup, support for driver packages in the WIM format, server side logging support via bits upload, and also other general fixes that make it an overall better solution. Just a quick note that Google have announced the completion of their acquisition of Mandiant, which I covered on a previous episode of the podcast, actually I think multiple different episodes of the podcast. Uh, but Mandiant, of course, are a recognized leader in dynamic cyber defense, threat intelligent, and incident response services. Mandiant will join Google Cloud and retain the Mandiant brand going forward. There was another very interesting remote work-related survey by Microsoft published this week, and also an interview with Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella by the BBC. The survey basically revealed that bosses worry about whether working from home is as productive as being in the office, while 87% of workers felt they worked as or more efficiently from home, 80% of managers disagreed. The survey questioned more than 20,000 staff across 11 different countries, and Adela told the BBC that of some 14 or 15 million job listings that are typically live on LinkedIn, about 2% of those involved remote working before the pandemic, whereas some months ago that stood at 20%, and it has since come down to about 15% this month. So obviously it was trending up, but now it's trending a little bit down. The overall messaging of the article by the BBC, and I'm assuming by Nadella and also Microsoft's survey results, uh, being that organizations need to embrace remote work and that by 2030, Gen Z will make up 30% of the workforce. Expectations are changing and there is a staffing crisis putting the onus on employers to make their roles more attractive to fill those jobs. Dell also published results of their own study that showed around 60% of employees are not experiencing a better work-life balance despite a shift to hybrid working. Respondents highlighted the need for companies to clearly define their ongoing commitment to flexible work arrangements, equip leaders to effectively and equitably manage remote teams, and empower employees to choose their preferred working patterns. More than half of those surveyed said they need their organizations to provide the necessary tools and infrastructure to work anywhere. So obviously you combine these two surveys together. A lot of employees want to work from home. A lot of managers or higher ups believe that people are not as effective working from home, whereas the employees themselves feel like they're more productive working from home. 
which I completely agree with. I think I am definitely more productive working from home. Uh, but they're also saying that, you know, the tooling isn't really adequate for getting the best and working from home. And I think people are probably stressed out and hitting burnout because of this. They probably have to work even harder to be as productive as they want to be because the tooling is not adequate. So interesting to combine both studies. American Airlines revealed this week that a hacker gained access to multiple employees' mailboxes and sent out phishing emails. While the airline believes the risk to affected individuals is remote, it notified impacted individuals of the data breach starting on September 16th. LeapyComputer.com reports that American Airlines disclosed in notification letters that personal information was exposed in the attack and it may have included employees and customers' names, date of births, mailing addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, driver's license numbers, passport numbers, or certain medical information. It is believed that 1,700 customers and employees may be affected. Auth0, which is an authentication service provider that is an Okta subsidiary, has disclosed what it calls a security event involving some of its code repositories, according to bleepycomputer.com. Auth0's authentication platform is used to authenticate over 42 million logins each day by more than 2,000 enterprise customers from 30 countries, including big players like AMD, Siemens, Pfizer, Mazda, and Subaru. The report states Auth0 was notified by Okta that someone showed they had a code archive from Auth0 from 2020. Auth0 completed their investigations, but did not reveal how the code archive was exfiltrated, but did state that they found no evidence of unauthorized access to their environments or those of customers, nor any evidence of any data exfiltration or persistent access. The Auth0 service remains fully operational and secure, according to them. Final bit of news this weekend, ending on a positive note, the awesome EUC Masters Retreat will be returning in 2023, with the dates announced as March 31st to April 2nd, and it will be held at the Monarch, which is in Scottsdale, Arizona. And this is the new naming of the Segura, so if you've been at the last couple of events, it is going to be the same venue, which is awesome because it's a great event and it's very well located. And if you haven't been to the event before, it's a really unique unconference type of event. So it's not really um, rigidly structured like a lot of different conferences you might have been at, at in the past. And it certainly helps fill a void because I know E2EVC is not holding events in the US anymore. So this is a really, really great replacement, but also the fact that uh, events like Briform haven't been happening for years. This is a must-go-to event, and it's just top of the line. Everything about it is awesome. The food is great. The location is great. Uh, the weather in Arizona at that time of year is perfect. Definitely put it on your calendar. I think for at least the UK and Ireland, this is around the Easter break for school as well, so you can make a family trip of it and stay there for two weeks if you want. So definitely check that out and register as soon as possible to avoid disappointment. And now some weekly webinars. So I hope you'll excuse me using this for a little bit of self-promotion, but I find myself in a pretty odd scenario for me at least, where I'm actually speaking at two different events this week. Uh, both are online, 
Uh, firstly, I'm speaking at a Numescent webinar with my buddy Ryan Will, who actually presented with uh, back in 2014, I think it was at Bryform. So excited to get to present with him again. And we both now work at Numescent, which is awesome. And the topic is going to be on creating an enterprise-ready Windows 365 application experience within 30 minutes using Numescent Cloud Pager. So if you've never seen Numescent Cloud Pager before, it's going to blow your mind. Uh, this is going to be a perfect introduction to it as well. So register and come along. And even if you're not using Windows 365, uh, you can use Cloud Pager for managing your applications on any Windows desktop. So uh, it's still going to be relevant to you. And it's a really great introduction too if you've never seen the product before. And if you've never heard of the product before, you should check it out because it just completely changes how you manage your applications. Um, you can do things like uh, rapidly deploy applications, but also rapidly roll them back if need be. Like if, you know, a vendor changes the layout or the feature and your users report they don't like it, you can very quickly roll that back. And there's so much more, it just completely changes how you manage applications. And kind of in that vein, but not really. <laughs> uh, the virtual expo is being held on Friday and I have a session on modern application management. Uh, now, Eric, the organizer, reached out to me and asked me if I would speak on this topic, uh, but I told him because I'm working in Numescent, I wanted to keep it independent, and you know, I'm working for a company that specializes in modern application management. Um, so I just told him that I'm going to focus my presentation um, pretty much mostly on uh, Microsoft Endpoint Manager, uh, the different features and options within that, I'll talk about a little bit about Cloud Pager, but not a whole lot. And I won't take questions on Cloud Pager because I definitely don't want it to be a platform for promoting my employer. This is going to be a personal independent session. So if you want to learn about Cloud Pager, definitely go to the new Messen one. But if you want to hear me just talk about general modern application management, specifically Microsoft Endpoint Manager or Intune, come along to the virtual expo. And you can register for both. And I'll share a link to registration for those with this episode, which is episode 249. And you'll find that on 5bytespodcast.com. Just click on episode 249 to get to the links. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. First up this week, Mariah Sanbu shared his work on a visual overview of Azure Active Directory and integrations and endpoints. So it's a really nice visual ad that puts together a lot of that picture that's going to be relevant to so many using Azure Active Directory. Uh, it looks like it's a work in progress, so follow Mariah Sambu on Twitter to keep up to date as it improves and he adds more to it. And you can follow him on Twitter. That's at M-S-A-N-D-B-U. And again, sorry to promote some of my own work, but I actually published a new blog on my site, RoryMon.com, this week, where I cover accelerating your MSIX adoption with Remo 3. So Remo 3 is a pretty cool product that not only can automatically convert your applications to MSIX, but you can actually export your applications into something like Intune to pre-stage that for deployments. And it also provides some information because it does not just like a static test for application compatibility and success of those applications running on your target system, but it actually does a proper smoke test and it will report back if an application has issues that you need to look into or if the application successfully tested in the smoke test. And if it did successfully test, 
then you can proceed to export. And if it didn't, you could just maybe manually export and download that package and test it yourself to make sure there's no problem before then deploying it however you want. And I'll also show a little bit of Remote 3 at my virtual expo session. So if you wanna see it there, definitely register for that. Swift on security had a nice and timely security tip, which is notice to make sure all your VDI, which I guess is the virtual desktops, have unique local administrator passwords every time they're, so obviously the nature of these uh, desktops, if you're updating maybe a parent VM, you wanna make sure it's always got a unique password and also anytime a VM is being spun up, that each instance has its own unique local admin password if possible. And to promote again, some of my own work, sorry, uh, but I posted a blog for Numescent this week on eliminating obstacles to packaging and deploying legacy applications on modern operating systems using cloud paging. So cloud paging is a pretty cool container technology because it's so flexible in terms of the isolation. It's very unique in that you can go from not just like full isolation and maybe include things like obsolete OS components that an application requires, but you can also even get to the point of installing files for components of applications locally as well. So essentially running non-isolated. So it marries kind of both worlds and it ensures the highest rate of compatibility, but it also provides a great opportunity to migrate forward those legacy applications that are just stubborn and will not work on your modern operating systems. And kind of another topic that I'll be covering during my virtual expo session, but Nate Hutchinson posted a blog this week on deploying Winget, that's Windows Package Manager apps, with Microsoft Endpoint Manager and auto-update them too. So very cool. I've featured several blogs by different people on this topic, so it's cool to see that it's gaining traction. The awesome Patrick Matola shared his PVS Copoi. I hope I pronounced that right. I do not speak the language, obviously, uh, but it's a really cool tool for managing and replicating your PVS V-Discs. And finally, thank you to Trevor Ty for this next one, who has a blog on if your RDP is periodically freezing in Windows 10 and Windows Server, he's found a way to stop the disconnections, well, mostly stop the disconnections and freezing from the RDP client. So check out his blog if that's something you're facing. That's it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you all, as always, so much for listening.